Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Robert's podcast, let's let it marinate for 24 hours edition of the New York Mets home opener where they come back and thank goodness beat the Miami Marlins by a final score of three to two. Look, one thing we can all agree on, we're all in agreement, whether you're a Met fan, a Yankee fan, a baseball fan, whatever the hell team you root for, is that the New York Mets got lucky on Thursday afternoon. Ron Culpa made a mistake. Okay, we know that. Everybody knows that. It's not even controversial. Controversial is when there's a split opinion. There is no split opinion. Ron Culpa screwed up, and it benefited the New York Mets, and the New York Mets won a baseball game. Through the course of a 162-game season, there are going to be games in which the New York Mets are wronged, where we are going to bitch and moan on sports talk, radio, and Twitter about how the Mets got hosed. And the reality is going to be the same. It happens. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But it happens. New York Knicks fans know how that has felt throughout the season. Myself as a Net fan has certainly experienced it through the years. So there's nothing to feel bad about concerning what happened on Thursday afternoon at Citi Field. There isn't. Now, I could take this entire podcast and destroy Ron Culpa and break down the play and break down the moment, but it's a waste. It's over. Michael Conforto should not have been awarded first base. It was a strike. Ron Culpa had the authority to say, I don't care if it grazed you. It's in the strike zone. Strike three. Let's go to the 10th. And then you know what we'd be bitching about, win or lose? We'd be bitching about the extra inning rule because it's universally hated. But that's for another podcast. That's for another day. So, yes, the Mets got lucky. But let's look at the other things from opening day and really the other things through four games of this season. And I'll be the first to admit, while I think we all, and I'm certainly a part of this, will overreact to games early in the season for a few reasons. You react, overreact to games early in the season because you miss baseball, because it's something that you haven't been able to do in months and months. And also... That small sample size jumps out at you more. 
And what I mean by that is when a guy goes through a slump in the middle of July, their batting average may go from 288 to 275. It's not as jarring. But when you get off to a one for 20 start, that means your batting average is 050. <laughs> it just becomes more noticeable. So those are always the two reasons I think. While as much as we'll say, hey, it's a 162-game season, hey, you can't get nuts, I think that causes overreactions. Missing the game that we love and seeing those glaring numbers in front of you as compared to a slump in June or July where it's not as obvious. But here's the thing that's been frustrating. And for any Yankee fan listening in, I think you understand this. When you struggle at the same things that you struggled with the year before, when the trends that you were hoping to change continue, and there are two things on the med end, and we can examine if it's going to change and how it's going to change. Number one is the clutch hitting. Last year, and it was easy to say it's a 60-game season, and I think a lot of us continue to say that as time goes on, uh, my, my view has kind of evolved a little bit in which the Dodgers legitimately won the World Series. It was a real year when it comes to who won and who was in the postseason. But the stats, they leave a lot to be questioned because it was a 60-game season. But over the course of a 60-game season, one of the things that derailed the Mets was not just their lack of starting pitching depth, wasn't just their bullpen for the most part was shaky, especially after Seth Lugo was moved to the rotation. It's the fact that the run score didn't match how productive their other offensive numbers were because they couldn't get a big hit. And they struggled with it all year for 60 games. <coughs> Early on, we're seeing the same thing. We saw it on opening day. We saw it in the game against Philadelphia to wrap up the three-game series. We saw it in the opener of this season on Monday night against the Phillies where, sure, the big story is Dom not playing, the big story is Jake pulled after six, and the big story is the bullpen failed, but the Met offense also had a chance to break it open. Do I think that'll change? I still think that. I still think that if you get on base enough if you've got a team that hits enough home runs, and I think they do, I think Lindor will hit 30, I think Alonzo will hit 30, I think Conforto will be around there too, that the offensive numbers will clump. The clutch hitting is just, <laughs> I mean, I do really think at the end of the day it'll start to even itself out. But it's frustrating that that trend has continued from last year. And here's the other reality. And I know this kind of delves into the whole long-term Conforto discussion. Michael Conforto's track record over the last few years, even a year like last year where in the 60-game season he put up really good offensive numbers, his clutch numbers leave a lot to be desired. And so that's what feeds into this narrative of Michael Conforto puts up empty numbers. Michael Conforto isn't clutch. I don't think numbers tell the entire story, but if you look at two outs and runners in scoring position, if you look at late and close, if you look at those numbers, they're down compared to what he produces during the course of the season. And for a guy hitting third, which is still, look, if it's not the primo spot in your lineup, which has now become two, it's still a rather important spot in your lineup. Michael Conforto's got to step it up. He's got to step it up. And I, and I think what happened on opening day kind of feeds a little bit into that thought about him where, sure, he got hit by the pitch, quote-unquote, but there was not a Met fan breathing who had confidence Michael Conforto was coming up with a big hit. 
Not a one. He was also behind in the count. But nevertheless, there was no confidence Conforto was going to come through. But he's the guy, I think, more than any other that's circled by the Met fan right now. Because his overall production doesn't match his clutch numbers. And if the Mets are going to be successful this year, they're going to have to score a lot of runs. Because this is a lineup that is built to score a lot of runs. This is a bullpen that is never going to be dominant, in my opinion, unless, you know... We're dead wrong about everybody. This is a starting pitching staff that's led by a big-time legitimate ace, the best pitcher in baseball. Stroman, to me, the jury is still out. I was very encouraged by what I saw by Taiwan Walker in his first start. David Peterson is a major question. We saw him, you know, briefly when you really think about it last year, and there were a lot of positive signs from him, but does anybody really know what to expect from David Peterson? Do you know what to really expect from Joey Lucchese, whether he's starting games or is your bulk guy? And obviously there are major questions about Noah Syndergaard and Carlos Carrasco. So this is a rotation that features plenty of questions. So their bread and butter, besides having the best pitcher in baseball, has to be that they put up big offensive numbers. And when you look at this lineup, they should. I mean, really, they should. They've got a leadoff hitter who's off to a great start in Brandon Nimmo, who even when he isn't hitting for a high batting average, will get on base 40% of the time. You've got a superstar shortstop that you just dealt out $300-plus million to in Lindor. A guy in Michael Conforto, who we just discussed. Pete Alonzo, who so far looks pretty good, especially with the glove. Jeff McNeil had a monster home run. I mean, he needed that in so many ways. The team needed that because that would have been a disastrous loss. We'll see about J.D. Davis, who is the real J.D. Davis. But this should be, overall, a very good offensive team. That should be their identity. You know, in 2015, it was the starting pitching. It's not that anymore. I mean, I'm not saying they have a bad rotation, but the identity of the 2021 New York Mets has to be that they score runs. And so the clutch hitting has to pick up. And it's been frustrating through four games that it's reminded you a lot of last year. Now, are there positives to take out of the first four games? Yeah, I want to mention Pete Alonso again. His glove at first base has looked different. And I give him a lot of credit. I remember before he ever played a game, I was down in spring training and he was nice enough to come on my Saturday show. And he talked a lot about his defense and how his goal was to be Paul Goldschmidt. And the reason Paul Goldschmidt was the guy he wanted to be was because, and and I don't think enough people talk, and more so Goldie in his prime. He's about 33, 34 now. So think about Goldschmidt with Arizona more so. He was a tremendous all-around player. Not only putting up big offensive numbers, but a very underrated glove at first base and would sneakily steal 15, 20 bases a year. And that's who Pete Alonso wanted to be. So Pete's not a guy who's thinking, I want to hit as many home runs as possible. That's who I am. He's thinking about being an all-around first baseman. And to his credit, to the first four games, he's looked that way. Brandon Nimmo has looked a lot better defensively in center field. And what can you say about Lindor? His bat hasn't gotten going yet. But you can see the difference defensively at shortstop. You can see it. Now the bullpen. It's obvious who Luis Rojas trusts. There is a three-headed, I'd say maybe four-headed, three-and-a-half-headed circle of trust that Luis has in this bullpen to begin the season. Obviously, Edwin Diaz is the closer. No one's debating that. With Seth Lugo not around for a while, there is no debate. Edwin Diaz is as much as... He has been ridiculed as much as there are questions about Edwin, as much as he gives you anxiety, you trust him more out of this bullpen than anybody else. Let's let's all be honest about that. 
Right now, among guys in this bullpen, he's number one. But the other two guys he loves clearly is Miguel Castro and Trevor May. I like Castro. He's looked very good in spring training. So far, so good besides his second performance in the second game against the Philadelphia Phillies where he was shaky, but he looked great in the opener. This season, uh, the uh, home opener, and he looked okay in the season opener against Philadelphia. So he trusts Castro. He trusts Trevor May, who was certainly a lot better on Thursday than he was in his first two appearances. And I think he's going to trust Aaron Loop. We saw Loop against Bryce Harper. He failed because he comes right out of the gate and hits him. And then he's facing JT Realmuto and he gives up the base hit. But that's it, man. He ain't going to trust J. Riss Familia. <laughs> he doesn't trust Robert Gazelman. He doesn't trust Trevor Hindenburger, though we'll see with Batantis on the injured list. The circle of trust in the New York Met bullpen right now goes three deep. And that's why they so miss Seth Lugo. This bullpen looks completely different if Seth Lugo is there. And I'll tell you right now, if Diaz does a fine job closing out games, like let's say he is settled in and pitches well. We've only seen him once. We saw him in the home opener. He was fine. He was fine. Now, we're going to see him with one-run leads. We're going to see him with two-run leads. We're going to see what Edwin Diaz does. But let's just assume Edwin Diaz is fine. Then when Seth Lugo comes back, he's not my closer. He's my guy I go to in big spots. He's the guy I go to to get potentially seven or eight outs. Close game, two on, two out in the sixth. I'm taking my starter out. I don't care who's up. Who do you trust? They miss him. He changes the entire bullpen upon his return. Entire bullpen. So as much as they may miss Noah, as much as they miss Carlos Carrasco to add depth to that rotation, and look, we'll see how much they miss him then based on how Peterson pitches in his second start, how Lucchese looks. Obviously, so far, DeGrom, Stroman, and Taiwan Walker, off to very good starts. Not that you worry about Jake. Now, let me say this about Jake. And I want to do this very delicately because I love Jacob DeGrom. I don't have true favorite players. He is a favorite player. Luis Rojas essentially admitted that Jacob DeGrom was a part of the decision to come out after six. And Joe used to bring this up a little bit last year, and I would swat him away. But Joe would say, you know, can Jacob DeGrom demand to pitch the seventh inning? Can he demand to pitch the eighth inning? And I'm mixed about it because my old school sensibility says yes. Like we all love that video of Mike Messina waving off Joe Torre. As much as it didn't work out in the World Series, I never blame Matt Harvey for demanding the baseball to pitch the ninth inning. My big issue is Terry Collins, not even letting him start the ninth, which I didn't agree with, but letting him stay in the game after he walks Lorenzo Cain. But the mentality of wanting to pitch, I don't have a problem with. I have no problem with. <clears throat> but the question I have, and I guess it'll get bigger and bigger as the season goes on, is should we supposed to demand that from Jacob DeGrom? Like watching Monday night in Philadelphia being there, Jacob DeGrom should have pitched the seventh inning. But if the pitcher is saying, I'm done, 
then you can't ask him to pitch the seventh inning. That's the one thing about that Tanaka decision from a few years ago, which was hidden for a while. Remember when Masahiro Tanaka, I know Med fans may be rolling their eyes, but I think this is a good comparison. Game one against the Astros in 2019, the ALCS. Tanaka was utterly brilliant. He threw 67 pitches, something like that, and they took him out. And it was insane. And it came out a few months later, Sweeney had it, that Tanaka basically told the Yankees, I was tired, I was done. Well, look, if a pitcher is done and they say, yeah, I'm good, take me out. I mean, I don't want him coming out for another inning. If the guy thinks he's done, he's done. So I don't want to criticize Jay because he is the best pitcher in baseball and he knows his body. But yeah, I want to see more than six innings at 77 pitches. And there's going to be more situations that are going to jump out at us. Seven innings, one run, 95 pitches. And we're going to say, come out for the eighth inning. So at what point is it on the pitcher? At what point, especially a guy who I do think has the gravitas to say, I'm coming out for the eighth inning. I don't care what your plan is, Luis. I'm pitching the eighth. I guess I wouldn't get really angry at Jake about it. Until the games are monstrous, you know, game one of the World Series or game one of the Division Series or a wild card game or a pennant race game in September, then yeah, I think my mentality is going to be, come on, Jake, you got to demand the freaking baseball to go pitch a seventh or eighth inning. Because 77 pitches, and I I get it was his first start of the year, things were pushed back, I certainly expect more from a pitch count perspective, and we will get more, but... Look, I saw Trevor Bauer throw 110 pitches the other night. That, to me, feels like a sweeter spot for a starting pitcher every five days. I'm not asking for 150 like David Cohn. I get it. It's a different era. I'm not even asking for 125. But Lance Lynn the other night pitched a complete game shutout at 111 pitches. Trevor Bauer came out in the seventh inning at 110 pitches. That feels like an acceptable number. Wouldn't we all agree with that? And don't give me the... When I grew up, look, we have to accept it's different. I'm accepting it's different. I'm accepting it's a different era. But what I can't accept is 85 pitches. I'm sorry. Even 90 pitches rubs me the wrong way. Can't you get to triple digits? Look, assuming you are effective enough to stay in the game. Look, there are going to be some calls where you're going to see Jacob's done. Stroman's done. Walker's done. Take him out. On Monday night against the Phillies, Jacob DeGrom wasn't done. So I'm fascinated to see what happens on Saturday afternoon against the Marlins. But here's the real positive to all of this. There was a baseball game at City Field on Thursday afternoon, and there were people in the building. And granted, it was only 8,500. And granted, they still had to play the fake soundtrack of uh, ambient noise and fake crowd noise. But the fact that you can be in the building and watch this team play and scream let's go Mets at the top of your lungs is awesome. And I can't wait to be in the building. I'm going to go to the Saturday game. I'm going to go to as many games as I possibly can considering I have two kids and a wife. So not all of them. (laughs) The moral of the story is not all of them. But it's great to have baseball back. And as a Mets fan, we can enjoy the off day and enjoy Saturday morning. And then it's back to baseball every day as they continue this series against the Marlins. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.